Mr. Jer Hennessy uh, has asked us to give him a shout-out and mention his name on our show. Jared, we don't do that. We don't mention people's names. Coming up next on Rugby Wrap-Up, Matt McCarthy and George Hook on Global Rapid Rugby and George Hook's favorite pastime, Sevens. Rugby Wrap-Up brought to you in part by Irish Rugby Tours, The Balanced Palette, AFIA Sports Training Group, and The Pig and Whistle on West 36th Street in New York City. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy at the Fantasy Sports Network, Studio 34 in Midtown Manhattan, talking rugby. And we are talking rugby with Mr. George Hook again, the esteemed Mr. George Hook, calling in from Dublin. George, welcome. Well, I always love coming back because you're the only person who says nice things about me these days. Hey, listen, we've both been at this long enough to know that it's the people that have the negative views or the critics that make the most noise in public. But you've got a ton of, uh, a ton of supporters, my friend, I assure you. And you likely have a lot more in the way of supporters now that you've officially retired. <laughs> All right. So I'm reading a biography of Winston Churchill. And at the moment, he's talking to FDR in Washington, D.C. So Churchill's talking to Roosevelt. And I'm talking to Matt McCarthy. There's a real similarity, I see. So are you calling in to have me bail you out of some conflict you've gotten yourself into? I think I can manage without 300 tanks. (laughs) Well, I can tank you only so much, Coach. (laughs) (laughs) But poor puns aside, we're going to talk about global rapid rugby. But before we do, we're going to talk about something else that's rapid in rugby, and that is sevens, because I know you love sevens. And we're going to talk about it because today, as we speak, Team USA, the Eagles, are at the top of the table in the HSBC Sevens World Series. Everybody is looking up at the Eagles. That's right. We're number one, baby. After two consecutive second-place finishes, we're at the top. And with the Eagles' 15th program, in 12th in the nation, another high for us historically. We got a lot going on here, sir. Well, we always knew, like Winston Churchill, we knew, you know, that, that the war was eventually going to be won. We knew when Sevens came into the Olympics that it was the one country that was going to benefit more than any other was the USA. Because what is sevens? No rocks, no malls, no lineouts, no scrums worth talking about. Minimal coaching skills required. What is required? Speed and strength. There is no other country in the world that has more speedsters than the Americans. Since Berlin, 1936 Olympics, Jesse Owens win 100 and 200, and Harris Dillard in 48, and so on, so on, so on. So America produces sprinters. It also produces, because the American football has this uh, 40-yard number, which they kind of check people on their speed over a short space. So America can produce big, fast guys. Sevens was made for America. Now, I want to show you something, Mr. McCarthy. I have here, for your delectation, some New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. 
Soon, these two benighted islands in the southern Pacific will be depending on their reputation for wine rather than rugby. With the growth in sevens of the USA, New Zealand isn't going to take this line down. But this glass comes from a screw-top bottle, and the Americans are going to screw the New Zealanders in sevens. Remember, you heard it here first. Okay, so there's a lot in there. Yes, the Eagles do have teams like New Zealand's All Black Sevens uh, looking at them with a raised eyebrow, especially after taking it to them in Cape Town. But they did take it to us in Dubai, so it's kind of even there. As for your assessment on coaching and coaching skills, I take exception to that remark, sir, on behalf of Mike Friday, uh, Phil Greening, Chris Brown, my friend Steve Lewis. These guys are elite Sevens coaches that have helped mold that raw talent that you're seeing produce on the pitch right now for Team USA and other Sevens programs that feed the Eagles. So in a word, sir, bollocks, because their skills as coaches have helped navigate these players into uncharted waters. And are you trying to tell me that these other nations that are looking up at the Eagles, with the exception of Fiji, who actually handed us our lunch in Cape Town in the finals, are without players that are physical and fast and strong, because that's just horse hockey. Does New Zealand have fast big guys? Sure. Is South Africa have fast big guys? Sure. Is Ireland have fast big guys? Sure. But they're not playing sevens. They're playing for the All Blacks. They're playing for the Springboks. Or they're playing for Ireland. Or they're playing for England. The, the major nations are not putting their best seven in the field. I mean, look at Ireland. Just stop for a moment and think of Johnny Sexton the best fly half in the world. Sexton, Sexton doesn't play sevens. Look at Peter Romani, one of the greats of the world, not playing sevens. Connor Murray, one of the best halves in the world, not playing sevens. And you can do that with each individual country. The difference is that the smaller nations, Portugal, for example, America, for example, um, Kenya, for example, Kazakhstan, for crying out loud, they are putting their best players in their seven, not in their 15. And that's the difference. The problem for the major nations, and by the major nations, you mean the top eight in the world. The problem for those major nations is they have a conflict. Are we going to put our best players in sevens? Or are we going to put our best players in fifteens? Because we can't put them in both. And that's why they're putting them in fifteens. The seven guys who represented um, New Zealand in the sevens, I venture to suggest, by no means certain, but I venture to suggest there might be an all-black amongst them. Except, Coach, sevens requires a unique skill set. And I know you don't think that it requires any skills, that it only requires speed and strength, but it does. Speed and strength is a skill, match. Don't denigrate speed. I mean, don't denigrate 9.8 for 100 meters. Don't denigrate squatting 400 pounds. Like, they're important. You are good. You are very good. I'll give you that. Mixing a little Irish guilt into the conversation. I'll be sure to recant at my next confession. But the teams that they're playing against, the players are paid better, they have better resources, and they have the same capabilities on the pitch as the Eagles. 
No, there's a grave danger, as as the opposition to Churchill did in World War Two, that you've got the same opposition against me, and you turn the words my great debating skills against myself, like they did with Churchill. The point is, I don't denigrate USA's uh, ability at sevens. Sevens was built for the USA. People didn't realize that. Like way, way back, over a hundred years ago, when sevens was invented in Scotland, um, they didn't say, you know, in 125 years, the Yanks are going to be good at this. They didn't think that, but that's in fact what happened. So just the, the game suits Americans. So what you have here is the money, because it's an Olympic sport, and, and people watching and listening must understand this. The money from the Olympics goes to sevens. It doesn't go to fifteens. So fifteens have got a begging bowl for money. Sevens is a ton of it. American sevens has full-time players in Colorado Springs. American women sevens has full-time players in Colorado Springs. Honest on wages. The 15s players don't have that. And there is the difference. 12 side grandeur, I'm delighted. As a former coach of the US Eagles, as a former director of rugby for American rugby, I am thrilled. But it is the next six spots that are the hard ones. For the U.S. to be able to beat, at least occasionally, Wales or France or uh, others is going to be the difficult part for them. Some points. Number one, it's no longer in Colorado Springs. It's in Chula Vista at the Olympic Training Center. Number two, yeah, they're getting paid. We have, we have the first paid rugby players in the history of the United States because of the Rio Olympic Games. And that's just the sevens players. It's not the 15s players, male or female. They get per diems if they make the squad. So what you have instead is players that are getting a whopping salary of between 20 and 25K. That's it. They live in big houses together like college kids. It's like a billet situation, if you will. It's like they're on a military base. And in fact, the women's 15s players didn't get a per diem at all. They just got... Expenses paid for, and it wasn't until the Rugby World Cup in Ireland that they started to get some kind of per diem. That's the intel that I have on that. All right. If you had sat in the bus in Brisbane, Australia in 1987 and said to prop forward Neil Brindle or uh, prop forward Paoli or uh, number eight Vizard or others, and you said to them, you know, there's going to be American rugby players getting $22,000 a year to play the game they love they would have laughed you out of court. The point is, in the context of history, you've got to put this in history. Like, the reason Australia is struggling is rugby union is sport number four in Australia. Rugby is probably sport number 27 in the USA. It, it ranks in many universities below ultimate Frisbee. Now, I don't care whether they're in San Diego, Colorado Springs, or Dubuque, Iowa or preferably Lawrence, Kansas, before the Confederates can get them, right? It doesn't matter. They're in camp, getting paid, playing rugby full-time. Coach, 22K in 1987 
is not the same as 22K in 2018. It's a ridiculous comparison. And quite frankly, Team USA, with this resource structure, has no business being at the top of the table. No, you're wrong. See, there's the, the most people that hear it say Hook is denigrating the Americans and McCarthy is supporting them. The astonishing thing is McCarthy is denigrating them and Hook's supporting them. You're sort of saying they have no right to be. Of course they have a right to be. This game, Sevens, was invented for America. If, you know, if somebody, if George Washington had sat down before he crossed the Delaware and had sort of said, let's dream up a sport that Americans can be good at, he would have dreamt up sevens. And the spy fella, what was the spy fella's name? I can't remember. He's a, he goes down in American infamy as the spy during the Revolutionary War. He deemed that sevens was good for America. Benedict Arnold. That's the guy. That's the guy. <laughs> Benedict Arnold for 200, Alex. But how dare you, sir? Uh, spin this on me for de- denigrating my own countrymen? Gobbledygook and poppycock. All right. Okay, George, hold the phone because uh, we are talking a rapid version of rugby in sevens, but we also want to talk another rapid version in global rapid rugby. But we have to take a rapid break. And when we come back, we'll get Twiggy with it, talking about global rapid rugby. Don't go away. If you're just joining us, this is a big match and a big moment as Kleister's toes the line. You know, John, Anderson has really been struggling out there today. Huge mistake as Kleister's clinches another title. Don't let your nutrition get in the way. USANA, the official multivitamin of the WTA. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig and Whistle, on West 36th Street. And we are back on Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy with George Hook calling in from Dublin. George, it's time to talk global rapid rugby. Andrew Twiggy Forrest doesn't just want to tip rugby's apple cart, he wants to bulldoze it and the global rugby landscape. He's a Western Force guy, and he was a bit disgruntled when they were booted from Super Rugby, and he's got a seemingly endless supply of cash. So when they were booted, his, his cash-filled hand slammed down with a harumph, and he figured out, I'm going to do my own thing, and he formed this global rapid rugby. And aside from a rabid passion and a ton of cash at hand, he's also got that silver bullet in his ammo belt that is the sanction from world rugby that separates him from everybody else he's including asian cities he's including australia fiji samoa and rumors are that he's also going to have a team in hawaii my question to you is how does this affect super rugby australian rugby and global rugby well, the first thing is um, circus owners like Barton, what's his name, Barnum and Bailey, they understood that having a lady with a mustache was always going to draw the crowds. And all rapid rugby is, is the equivalent of the mustachioed lady. It's going to hang around for a while. The curious are going to come along and look at it. But no, you've got two games of rugby that are going to stay there, and that's 15s and 7s. 
Fifteenth is under pressure, I grant you, from seventh. But it's not, it's not under pressure from some Disneyland game that somebody thinks he can go in to uh, China and the rest of Asia and pull teams out of the wall. Like, if, if this was going to work in Asia, and, you know, I don't know how far a Russia extends into Asia, but, but you can go very far into Asia if you're a Russian, you know, the Georgians would be doing really well. They're not. And the, the problem is that rugby is 50 years away from equaling the world attention that soccer gets. Soccer is a true world game. Rugby is not a true world game. No matter how much world rugby says there's 120 nations playing it or whatever, does anybody seriously think, you know, that when the chips are down in the World Cup in Japan, the first, the four semi-finalists aren't going to be from the major nations. Then, you know, China isn't going to be there. And, and yours and mine, beloved USA, they're not going to be there either. But they are going to be there in, in the Sevens Olympics. And that's where America is putting its time, its money, and its effort because it was an opportunity of getting a return. Okay, yeah, you're talking about USA Rugby putting all their money, again, into one product, Sevens. But the, mo- the amount of money, again, is relative. It's peanuts. Yet we digress. Let's get back to global Rapid Rugby. Okay. So, reading from their elevator pitch. 14 rounds, 56 games, plus four finals, 70-minute matches, 35-minute halves, nine points for tries if you have the ball within the opposition's 22 and forego a penalty kick. Penalty kicks are only going to be worth two points. They're also going to have new and dynamic laws to increase ball in play time. That should be interesting. They will have 20 of the top 100 players in the world. Names like Matt Gitto and Dan Carter are being bandied about. And from an entertainment standpoint, that's interesting. Further, they're saying that each match will have in-stadium entertainment, and this caught my eye, with a dynamic and engaging broadcast team. If they're not kicking down the door for Hook and McCarthy, they're starting on the back foot. All right, let's uh, try uh, and take some of these in some sort of secrets. I don't know how long professional soccer has been around in the USA. It's been a failure. Um, all it succeeded in doing was getting old-age pensioner soccer players. And an old-age pensioner soccer player is somebody over 30. Interestingly, you talk about Carter and Ghetto, who are merely trying to increase the size of their pension pass at their local bank because they're over the hill as rugby players. You then talk about in-stadium entertainment. I can watch it. The Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, I can watch it on my television. I don't need Mr. Rapid Twiggy Foster to give me his cheerleaders. We already got them. They're better in Dallas, and I can get them. So that's, I mean, what's new about that? He has to make it 70 minutes because most of the players are going to be too old to play Asian. Let's look at the laws. When I started playing rugby, it was three points for a try and three points for a penalty goal. So they said, make it four, and it'll stop penalty goals and more tries. What happened? Not a lot. They made it five. You can make it 25. 
and ultimately players score tries when the opportunity is there. No player gets the ball in his hand and says, oh, you know, there's nine points at stake here. He looks and says, is there a space in the defense? So this is a whole lot of Horlacks. You may well ask, what is Horlacks? Horlacks is a drink marketed in the United Kingdom that puts you to sleep. So this is a whole load of Horlacks. Hopefully no Horlicks here, buddy, but you've soiled my studio by bringing up soccer. So here we go. I can address or answer all those people that can keep comparing soccer to rugby in the United States. It's not the same thing. As a kid growing up in New Jersey, when they had a team called the Cosmos with a star-studded lineup that included Pele, Franz Beckenbauer, Giorgio Canaglia, and Shep Messing for two- or three-year glorious run where they filled Giant Stadium, and my brother Danny was a, a beer vendor there making money hand over fist at the ripe old age of 17. Uh, it all fizzled, and, and it fizzled because back then, we, did, we only had network television, and we only had ABC, NBC, and CBS. We didn't even have Fox yet, and there was no internet, there was no cable, and there were no OTT channels. So they had to compete. Soccer had to compete with the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, and even hockey at times. And the bottom line, if you're an American kid growing up in that time period, and you're, you have the ability to watch football players destroying each other on the field in college football and in the NFL, and this is before they had any concern about concussions, because you could see these guys, they're all walking around like this. And then you have hockey, where you're getting plastered against the boards, and then they're dropping the gloves and punching the snot out of each other. Soccer sucks in comparison. They take dives. They have, they have specialists teaching them how to dive. It's apples and oranges, and they don't need a network. Sure, a network would be nice, but they don't need it. Okay. Every argument put forward is specious. It's, it has no validity. Let's look at this idea that we've got a whole new range of broadcast media that we can put this game up on. Golf has a far bigger audience than American rugby at this moment in time. People prefer, prefer to watch Tiger, you know, than A.J. McGinty. That's a fact. Now, the thing is, the Players' Championship, the fourth major, i.e. the fourth most important golf tournament in the world, could not get a television sponsor. And it had to go online with 11 sports for people to try and watch it. So therefore, if golf, with a magnetic figure like Tiger and others, is struggling, to get mainstream television, how do, you, how do you think that A.J. McGinty and the lads or, and, or a, 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 you know, a, an octogenarian Carter whizzing around on his parent wheelchair is going to bring millions of people to your new media? The answer is it isn't and it's going to work. And 50 years from now, they're going to be, go visit my gravestone. And they're going to be saying, you know, he was right. We're still watching the old rugby. Okay, all right. Uh, again, we're on different sides of the equation, especially when it comes to old man Carter, because I'd like to see him play. And he is basically carrying a Japanese league on his back right now. And he's doing pretty well. But that aside... Uh, I'm not going to resort to an American tactic and just start calling you names. I'm not going to do that. Instead, 
I want to salute you, my friend, as the legend that you are, because you recently had your last show. You hung up your mic. I think I did. I really think I did. Um, I, I think there comes a time, I think it was Hamlet who said, there's a time and tide in the affairs of men which have taken at the flood. And I think that's what I did. I decided it was time to go. And I've gone. And, and there are other things in life. And I'm going to do them. What was it like the minute you signed off? Pretty emotional. Uh, it was pretty, uh, I mean, there was a gap. And, and for a pretty short time, I thought, what have I done? Or what am I going to do? Uh, I'm not worried now about what I've done, uh, but I'm thinking about what I might do. And of course, if McCarthy's prognostications come true, that, you know, Rapid uh, Freddy is going to have a new broadcast product, who knows? It could be very busy in the giant stadium. Well, if we keep butchering his name, we're not going to get the gig, but we can always hope, right? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, if I have any say, that mic's not going to get any dust on it as I drag you out of retirement. And speaking of which, when, when I drag you out of retirement, are you going to be more like a Michael Jordan, a Brett Favre, or a Roger Clemens? <laughs> I, my thoughts about Michael Jordan have always been about his off-court uh, astonishing figures, uh, which you can't talk about on a family program like this. Uh, I never enjoyed basketball. I never enjoyed baseball. I never enjoyed football. Um, I actually cordially disliked uh, Americans until I discovered 50% of them were women, which changed my view entirely on the great American nation. They can certainly have that effect, absolutely. But on that note, my friend, we are out of time. So on behalf of Mr. George Hook, who is calling in from across the mighty Atlantic from that jewel of a city in Dublin, I'm Matt McCarthy at the Fantasy Sports Network Studio 34 here in Midtown Manhattan for Rugby Wrap-Up, signing off. <laughs>